Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. realized I never t- finished my fetish shoe fetish story. Yeah. 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 Juice. Some juice. <laughs> Some boy and sick juice. Um, so he says with such trepidation, reluctance, Harvey, I can't tell you this. I said, well, come on. He would pick women's shoes off the road Stop on the internet, pick the shoes up, and then not only smell them, but masturbate into them. And he'd go into garbage areas to pick out the shoes. And he would spend hours calling shoe stores up. And he would go um, get a job in shoe stores. <laughs> and he would do this and do that and do this and do that. Ryan, if you're listening, I'm sorry I forgot to get your permission. (laughs) Plus, I gave you names. And he he told me all that, and I said, okay. My My sponsor had an expression, do you hear me yawning? (laughs) <laughs> What's the Flemish word for yawning? <laughs> do you hear me yawning? I said, okay, do you hear me yawning? I mean, you hear this stuff over and over again. Everyone thinks they're so evil and unique and different. And he, I said, now, tomorrow, you need to say it at the meeting. And he said, no way. No way. And I said, okay. Can't force you. Next day at the meeting, he shared. The whole kit and caboose. And at the end of the meeting, about five men came up to him and said, thank you. Thank you. I have the same problem. Thank you. I'm no longer (coughs) 
alone again. How we deprive people of connecting to us. Of all the things I, I've had it happen with other things. I've never had so much connection with a group when I've talked about noticing male crotches. Okay. We never know. We never know what it is that God's letting us connect with someone else with. And if we pick and choose out of shame, we got a problem. Now, the, I want to put all this in quotes. This does not mean I go and tell everyone I'm a sexaholic, that I had sex with hundreds of people, that I'm a chronic masturbator. It doesn't mean that. It means that I... When appropriate, not lie. And we'll probably talk about this later on in the couple meeting about the simple truth. The simple truth. Addicts have this problem. We either lie, yes, and say nothing. Is this for questions? Oh, okay. Lie and say nothing, or we... Get diarrhea of the mouth. We say too much. You answer what has been asked. And the best example, my sponsor called this the simple truth. The best example for me was I was at an international conference in Salt Lake City, Utah. And there they have a city of basically people of the Mormon faith. There's a special religion. And this city is almost entirely Mormon. And we went to their special tabernacle, their special temple, to visit it. And a tour guide took us around. And he said, oh, why are you here? And I said the simple truth. I'm here for a conference. And he said, what kind of conference? I said the simple truth. A recovery conference. He said, what kind of recovery conference? I said, a 12-step recovery conference. He then said, what kind of 12-step recovery conference? And I said, Sexaholics Anonymous! <laughs> and he said, thank God. I have this friend who's in so much trouble, and I have not been able to find a meeting for him to attend. <laughs> Simple truth. I did not tell him my life story. <laughs> now, if he asks, and tomorrow you'll hear, and you know, this afternoon in our couple share, what do you tell your children? 
Why do you tell your in-laws, your relatives? You know, these are real things that we'll share with you, hopefully, how to apply the simple truth with your family. You know, I talk about this and I get such pain sometimes, not cardiac pain, you know. This is such a rough disease. It's not easy. I'm making it light and we're laughing. It's not easy. It's probably where 70, 80 years ago, and I remember people dealt with cancer this way. They would never tell anyone they had cancer. They were ashamed. But I'm going to end this if there are two questions and then Nicholas. We had two hands there. I have one back here. Yes. This is from the previous session. Question from the yes. Previous, from the previous step. Perhaps the first, the ones of the previous steps. Anything. Yes. We'll just do this. As you can see, we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about. So it doesn't matter what's asked or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm Stefan. Uh, I'm a technology professional. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested in the uh, Germany. Yes. Uh, in, in my home group. then don't share that way. And you start at a different time of the week and an additional meeting where part of the reading is we are explicit here, but not when you're drunk. <laughs> not when you've just masturbated that day or that week. Not when you're drunk. And you include it in your reading. And the program grows. See, God is abundant. 
There isn't scarcity in God's world. It's love multiplies. So the program multiplies. So you just make another meeting where you can be explicit. No big deal. In AA, they say, all you need is one disagreement and a coffee pot. And you start a new meeting. (laughs) We have so many meetings in Nashville because this guy and Nicholas might know of Judson. He moved to the West Coast, but he was in Nashville for years. And he needed a lot of meetings. And there were, we only had two a week. Wherever he was working, he would start a meeting that, and on a day in a neighborhood near where he was working, so he could go on lunchtime. That's why we have so many lunch meetings. <laughs> we had one or two meetings when it was up to me. He started probably four or five meetings himself. And I, there's so much rigidity that a lot of people have who especially don't go to enough open AA meetings. Because there's not that much rigidity there. We're a group of very fundamentalist people, very rigid religious people. You know? And we bring this into how we see it. And breaking through that is really those first five paragraphs before you could get the steps. And that's what we dealt with Thursday night, those first five paragraphs. It says we had to let go of our old ideas. But another reason things stay stagnant It's because people don't stay sober. If you want what we have and are willing to go in any length, if people are chronically relapsing, they're going to set up a culture of chronic relapsing. That's just how it goes. It it propagates itself. And so it means that you're going to work your program really diligently for 24 hours, and you're going to say, I don't give a crap, and this is what I'm thinking, and this is, I'm not going to get, lose my sobriety having to bottle all this in because you're afraid of losing your sobriety by hearing what I'm, I have. But in the meantime, there are no excuses because you could call people in other parts of the world, and I know some of you have sponsors in Nashville. I would imagine Alan lets you share explicitly. Do you share explicitly with Alan? Yeah. Alan's going to let you do it. All of us. Then this one, and then this. Yes. I I have a little bit of shame. I'm I'm more aware of this. Um, And I I hear you say and others what's what's in the meat, uh, what kind of sexual thought is in the meat. And sometimes it happens, 
and I see my romantic fantasies. I have a look. It's like romantic fantasies. And then I try to, to, to look further what, what is it uh, that I wanted to do. It's a touching. It takes a moment. I don't see that immediately. It's a touching the, the feeling of smooth skin. And um, several times it's the same, same person over and over again. And um, well, my question is basically is, um, is this enough when I have this, is, is this it, or, or is this more, is there more, is it still a shame, or because more explicit means obviously something like I'm trying to penetrate the woman, I'm trying to have oral sex, right. and I don't see that at that moment. Right. It is not that. Yeah, you don't have to make it happen. <laughs> it's, I have to share from that first photograph. I share the first photograph. So um, I will share after a meeting, pull someone aside. There's, if it's about someone else in the meeting, I don't share that at the meeting. I pull some immediately aside and I say, I just had this photograph of kissing that person, that guy or whatever, the guy on the neck. Just saw that for a millisecond and I give it to them. Okay? Um, you share the truth of that first photograph. If you're ending up sharing too many fantasies, which are fine to share, but it means you're missing the concept of catching it at the first photograph. If you're having a lot of fantasies, it means you're not quite understanding how to apply the tools to the first photograph that shows up. And I'll spend lots of time in sponsorship helping people find the first frame. What would the Flemish word be? I want to be sure this is in a motion picture. We call it a frame. Frame. It's the first frame. That's how God made me. That's not lust. That's my brain. The moment it goes into the motion picture, that's lust. That produces the phenomenon of craving. That's what I'm allergic to. So when I'm intimate with my wife, the next day, my brain wants to replay it. The moment I see her face, or her body, I use a tool. I cannot replay sex with my wife that is lust and is not accepted in my program. <clears throat> Sexual fantasy is not allowed in my program. Cannot have a sexual fantasy. I have to go to any length to block it by using all of the tools Roy used or the rubber band. 
Not because there's anything wrong with sexual fantasies. Nothing's wrong with a sexual fantasy. People have them all the time. They're fine. They're not sins. I'm allergic to sexual fantasies. And I'm allergic, actually, if I'm not careful, sometimes I will all of a sudden say, gee, I'm getting old. What if my wife died before me? <laughs> and I feel so bad. And all of a sudden I said, would I, I get involved with a woman or a man? And then I say, oh, a woman. <laughs> and then I, all of a sudden I'm picturing her. And before I know it, this is all within a millisecond. I know I'm going to see myself within a moment having sex with her. This sad thought about my wife dying, and I know it's going to end up in sex. Because everything ends up in sex, in my mind. So, the moment I see that first scene of being sad about my wife dying, I say, Harvey, you're just so screwed up. Right now, you're having a love pang for your wife. You're loving her. Instead, you go into fear that you're going to lose her, and you're missing that you're feeling love. Get on the phone and tell her you love her. Because if I don't at that moment, it totally goes away. Because I'm a love cripple. The wall immediately goes back up where I can't feel love. It's just awful stuff for me. I, I feel it a lot of times. This wall, like a metal plate. And so I've had to learn when that plate goes down for a moment, how to utilize it. Roy got it. He's told us. First addicts and then love cripples. Yes, who had the, so the shame and all that. Um, you end up not even having shame stuff because you're catching it so quickly. Now, what do I do with that prayer? Whatever I'm looking for in that, may I find a new God. And I'm very explicit with that. I use words breasts, I use private parts on women, I use buttockses in my prayer. God, whatever it is I'm looking for in such and such, may I find in you. And then I do a list with pencil and paper. Everything's with pencil and paper. You can't do it up here, because that's where the disease lives. So I write down, what am I looking for in those breasts? And I write, yeah, get nurturing, feel comfortable, excitement, a charge, feelings of comfort. I forget where I am for a minute. I get relief. I write all those things that I get from that I think. And then I say, can I get this from God? And then I start imagining God enfolding me, God holding me, God filling me. 
and I get the comfort. So after a while, that prayer has even more meaning to me over the years. But I also use a rubber band. For many people who are very used to praying, a lot of those tools about prayer aren't good for you. Because you're so used to praying. That's why the rubber band becomes real effective. Or picking up the phone immediately. See, when you pick up the phone and you have to press the buttons and now only one button to get the, your sponsor's number, the brain is doing something else. It's really like a mantra. It's interfering with a circuit. Because the brain does not do two things like that simultaneously. So when you pick up the phone, it's stopping the obsessive circuit that I cannot stop on my own. So whether you use prayer, whether you use a rubber band, whether you use a phone, it's all the same stuff. All the same stuff. Yes. Uh, and uh, just wanted to ask you, how do you feel the fear? When the fever comes up and anxiety is straight on the loss. Not very well. Not very well. Yeah. I was a real ass the other day. I wasn't getting my way. Didn't have what I wanted. Things were happening. I was hungry. I hadn't eaten lunch. Yeah. I was able to tell the people I was with, too, you know. This is how I am when I'm not working my program. I'm a son of a gun. Periodically, I'm saying to my wife, my tenth step, even when she's wrong, and I'm right, I'll talk to her like she's a piece of crap. And I'll have to make an amend and say, Nancy, I'm was wrong and ask your forgiveness for the tone of voice I used with you. Yes, all of a sudden, the old me pops up. Can we open some windows? But fear. The book says, driven by a hundred forms of fear. Self-delusion, self-seeking. We step on the toes of others and they retaliate. So I wrote down a list of a hundred forms of fear. And I prayed for years. God, take this irrational fear away. I used to say, take my fear away. But someone corrected me and say, take my irrational fear away. You don't want your fear to be totally removed, or you'll stand in the middle of the road and a truck could drive you by, by and you say, oh, look, a truck's coming. <laughs> And the same thing about lust. My prayer was for years and years, God, take even the secret places of my lust away. The secret places, the ones I don't even know I have. I had so many secret places that I didn't know. I I was physician on this big, I was a medical director, and my staff said to me one day, you know, you talk to the young guy's patients with a different voice tone than you talk to the older ones and the women. I thought I'd die. 
I was so embarrassed. Must have been 12, 13 years sober. And then I start hearing it on the telephone, all places, that I get a seductive type of speaking pattern. And then I started getting free of it. This I could ask it to be removed. You can't ask for something to be removed that you don't know you have. We're going to talk about step two. Oh, Nicholas, I'm sorry. Thanks, Harvey. I just want to ask if you can help me to resolve a, a dilemma about this explicit sharing thing. Um, let's uh, say you know, a, a member has a problem with pornography. I mean, I want to let them come to me and show me the pornography yeah. that they were having a problem with. Because what that would do is it lights up my brain, I've got the tools to deal with that, but I basically wouldn't want to put myself in that position. But if somebody come, comes to me, because I think in images, as you say, somebody comes to me and starts to tell me in explicit detail some scenario, I'm going to have that image appear in my head. And my brain will light up, and sure, I have the tools to work on that, and I can surrender it, but why would I want to have that in my head in the first place? Because we're the sheep, the goat offering. We're the goat. Okay, so this is not codependency, this is sacrificial love you're talking about. We have to do it. Okay. I can, I can take that. Okay. It's, um, I'm going to be a little more specific. In AA, if someone brought a bottle of liquor to a meeting, he would be booted out, probably, for that meeting. So you're so right. But he's not booted out for saying, oh, and I drank and I have such a headache and I went and did this and I had 10 glasses of wine and then I drank 50 beers and I vomited and hung the, over the toilet and this, they're sharing explicitly. But God, you know, you're so right. But that person isn't sharing who would bring you the pornography. He's seducing. He's tantalizing. And I confront people. I sponsor. There's this man, he's in the army, and one of, when I retired, I went and worked as like a substitute teacher. I worked as substitute physician at army bases. And luckily, my recovery was enough Thank God, I wasn't sure, but I was able to deal with the young soldiers. And it was okay. But I'd go to AA meetings on the Army base. And a few years later, I'm back in Nashville. This was way in another part of the, the America. This guy calls me, he's big time in the Army. And he said, someone handed me a tape of S.A., and I realized I had heard your voice. You used to go to AA meetings with me on the base. And I've been sponsoring ever since. And he used very graphic language. 
And I know this. Sometimes I get pelvic stimulation. Yeah. I've had experiences where you feel a little moist even sometimes. You're not even aroused, but something awful happens that it bypasses all the channels. Something happens and it reaches your prostate. I don't know what it is. And it was too much. And I let it happen for a bit. I moved the phone or what. But eventually I said to him, now I believe, I'm not sure, but I think your disease is talking to me right now. I'd like us to change some of the words, if you would. And we start using other words. My God, did he need to share what he shared. Who can you share it with? Not everyone... Uh, is in a way have that fortunate aspect of Catholicism where you can at least tell it to your priest. Not that you tell your priest all that stuff. I mean, this whole thing's a joke with addicts. You know? We don't tell anybody. But at least some people have some place they could take it. Most people don't have that place. They're just carrying it and carrying it. And I've accepted that that's been God's will for me. Maybe it's not for you. And it doesn't have to be for you to have a wonderful program. Certainly Nick Lister's program is a phenomenal program. This program's different things for different people. But Nicholas will need to go home and make an inventory and reflect on his meetings and do a group conscience and a group evaluation to see, hey, maybe we've taken this too far. Maybe we're feeding shame, stimulating shame. Maybe there's some in-between way. I don't know. Maybe we do too much. There's no answer here. There's no right or wrong. There's what is working for your community. And you know what's working if people are staying sober and you're building more long-term sobriety and the groups are growing. You need some objectifying to check yourself. What did I have to do in Nashville? 15, 20 years ago, probably 20 years ago, I made a decision that I can never go to an intergroup meeting because the fellowship was being created in Harvey's image rather than in God's image. And that the moment I stepped foot in an intergroup meeting, it changed the dynamics of that meeting. And we have international conferences in Nashville year after year. I don't even know we're having them. I have absolutely nothing to do with it. It took me years. First, I stopped going to the intergroup meetings. But I used my sponsees to be my spokesman. 
and manipulate what I want. <laughs> then they got onto my trick, and they they wouldn't do that, thank God. And then I stopped everything. You'll never see me on a international committee. I am without power. I am a control freak. I am a vacuum cleaner. When I come into a meeting, I suck the whole air out of that meeting. I cannot not do it. And my gift to the community is I stay the hell away from it, except I'm at lots of meetings, lots and lots of meetings. I do workshops voluntarily. Our Saturday morning meeting, we get about 70 people, and we break into a big book meeting, a step meeting, and when we go around the room a lot of times, and we say sobriety dates, and I hear there's some relapsing, I'll pop up and I'll say, I'm going to do a relapse <coughs> workshop, cross-talk, not a typical meeting in that room. Anyone who wants to come, come. I do have a responsibility, but it's voluntarily people could come. And that brings up a question that Andre asked about first steps. The question basically was, how can I be too explicit at a first step meeting? Well, what the hell is a first step meeting if you're giving your first step, if you can't be explicit? And I went to a community in Canada, and it changed my life two summers ago. Because that community that had been very stagnant for quite a while, there were two people in that group who even went to the first step meetings and would raise their hand. And people could not say anything. And they started doing it with me <laughs> at the conference. And I did not deal with it well. <laughs> Ended up doing amends. But, and then these people got in my face attacking me. And I wasn't strong enough for it. I did not have the tools. And my shame stuff, gee, maybe I'm doing this all wrong, maybe I'm hurting people, oh, this is awful, and I went through it all, it took me weeks to get over that, and I made a deal that I basically will not go anywhere where I don't get the whole weekend. I will not do a talk. And it's not from arrogance. It's to protect myself. Because too much of this can be misunderstood and mis misused out of context. And I'm not going to put myself through that anymore. Wow, where's all the time gone? <laughs> yes, we're talking, going to talk about the second step. And I'm going to not talk this. Hopefully in the 10th, 11th step, we could talk some about it. I'm not talking about this God stuff. I'm talking about, going to talk about the second part of the second step. 
I want to talk for a moment about what I was saying about could this be a myth? Is this real? Is it not real? I feel better, whatever. I'm on the plane, and what movie do I get to watch but The Life of Pi? How many of you have seen that movie? Or read the book? The, the Life or the book? The Life of Pi. And it is a magnificent, just the, this young kid who was so inquisitive and from India, and he he was a Hindu, and then he found Christianity. <laughs> he was a Hindu on top of, with the Christianity, and then he found Islam. <laughs> he was a Christian and a Hindu and an Islam, and his father would say, you've got to pick one of these. And he wouldn't. <laughs> and he'd be sitting at the dinner table doing the crucifix, doing this, doing everything all at once. And he gets on a shipwreck with his family, with the zoo his father owned. And they were moving across the ocean and there was a shipwreck. And he was stuck alone, his family got killed. Everyone, he was the only one left, except for the Bengal tiger, the man-eating tiger, who ended up on the same lifeboat he was on. And he had to make something extra to be on the other side and be away and the, what happened and, and his adventure in an island he got in and it unbelievable story of this tiger and him who was out to kill him and ended up how they had to work some kind of mutual coexistence out to keep each other two alive. And when it was all over the story, he was telling it to an author who wanted to write a book and he said, well, what happened after you finally were saved? And he said, oh, the insurance men came and I told them what happened. They wanted to know what happened. And I told them. And they said, we can't tell our bosses that story. No one will believe it. That's a ridiculous, impossible story. So he said, okay, it, we need a story. So he tells them this other story. A horrible story about killing and this and that and they said, okay, we can take that story. <laughs> so the reporter looks at this man, he's still a young man, and says, well, which story is true? And the man says, which story did you like the most? And he said, the one about the tiger. And that's what I pick every day. Do I want to believe God did not create the world? Do I want to believe that there was no Old Testament? Do I want to believe that? That this is all Darwinian? So this is all Darwinian. The Dar Darwinian. Yes. Or do I want to believe there is a God who loves me 
And I pick that story. It's true for me. It gives me so much comfort. It just gives me comfort. I know him. It gives me comfort. But I have to be willing to pick him today. People say, oh, i got to find God. What bullcrap? He's not lost. Why are you finding God? He's not lost. He's there. You just need to connect to him. He has a door. But free will, he puts the doorknob on our side of the door. And all you have to do is touch the doorknob and open that door the size of a mustard seed. (laughs) For the next 24 hours. Because that's all it works with me. 24 hours at a time. And so I never got to talk about the second part, but we'll see how we get that in later. Thank you again for letting me share. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.